Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. My name is Harry. I'm Megan. And we are in episode 112, where we will be talking about chapters 77 through 87 of Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. That's right. And on our next podcast, we'll be covering chapters 88 through 98, as well as interludes 7 through 10. All about them interludes, yo. All about it. We've had longer sections have have been requested from some of our listeners as the breaks between these podcasts have been getting longer. So we are happy to oblige. We are traveling a bunch next month, and it is likely to be difficult for us to get out podcasts on a weekly basis anytime in the foreseeable future as our children have taken over our lives in the cutest possible way. I mean, they're adorable. But they've taken over our lives. Tyrants and usurpers. (laughs) So I have been so excited to get to this section. And then the next, the whole whole part four of this book is phenomenal as well. And I've been really excited for you to get to this part and get to hear your reactions. So I have opinions. I am so psyched for this podcast. Chapter 77 was called Storm Shelter. Kaladin takes a break from wall guard duty to catch up with Adolin and Shallan. The world's most complicated love quadrangle is brewing between them, and everyone but Adolin is a bit confused. Shallan reveals that there are probably two unmade in the city, although they aren't any closer to figuring out how to defeat them. Shallan's identity crisis is getting worse, but she manages to finally become Vale and set off to infiltrate the cult of moments. So we've got this this love quadrangle between Shallan, Shallan's other personality, Adolin and Kaladin. Yep. Yeah, and as you as you cleverly point out, only Adolin is none the wiser. No idea what's going on. Everything's great. <laughs> I got this hot redhead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know how things could ever go wrong. I mean, <laughs> my hometown's about to collapse, but ah, you know, you got to look at the good you got. <laughs> So Kaladin has noticed Shallan's double personality at this point. He's like, what is up with this toxic chick? Right. Half the time she's giving me the eye. The other half she's super mean to me. I'm totally into it. The book says if you see a spread in the wrong color, you're supposed to immediately move to another town. Uh, There's kind of like an army in the way, Kaladin said. Yes. Amazingly, your stench hasn't cleared them out yet. You're a butt. No, you're a butt. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And somehow, in all that, you can tell they misspelled your. (laughs) Maybe Kaladin did. Yeah, I mean, just in their childishness. Mm -hmm. You know, she's being very childish. Yes. That's sort of what this, these sort of love triangle moments always sort of reminds me of. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like we immediately go back to like. The television show 15 or my so-called life and Mm -hmm. they're just you know all very high school i kind of like it in this context because shallan even though she's a woman at this point she's a very young woman and it's 
you know, love triangles, they're, they're kind of a trope in YA literature, but it's also kind of for a reason because teenage relationships are disgustingly messy, you know, and you very rarely have like one person that, that you just find and you're kind of destined to be with. And I, I feel like that the love triangle trope is kind of a, a, a kickback uh, against the the very traditional fairy tale love story that you know was told over and over and over again the princess finds the prince and and uh he's the one and they get married the next day and yeah live happily ever after and and that rarely feels that well i'm going to say it never feels that way in real life if if that's what your relationship was like please call in because <laughs> we want to hear your story but that's not what what relationships actually look like. And a lot of times you you meet someone and they seem perfect for you, but there's a small part of your personality that likes this other person. And or maybe you kind of like someone who's really mean to you for no reason at all, but you kind of feel like you deserve it. So it's all very complicated. And mm-hmm. I think that's why a lot of us relate to that trope. Some of us hate it. I respect that. But a lot of us relate to it. And, and I think it's, I just like the addition of having a mul- multiple personalities in the mix as well. Yeah, it's it's a wrinkle. It's definitely a wrinkle, <laughs> that's for sure. The other thing I noted is, man, these storms and storm shelters are like the perfect cover for being able to put people who shouldn't otherwise have an opportunity to interact with each other in positions to be able to interact with each other. Yeah. So it's like the perfect cover for clandestine conversations. Mm-hmm. But it's, it wasn't until this that I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, every time there's a high storm, people can arrange to put themselves in a given area and have to be at a given shelter, mm-hmm. you know, and nobody could ever really question right. why they would be together. That is a very good point. So Shalon tells the guys that she has found a book on the unmade. So we get a little bit of information about them, uh, confirms that there are nine of them, that there were that they are ancient primal spren, which we had been told before. But she tells us that she thinks that there are two in the city. One is Saja Anat, the taker of secrets, who corrupt, corrupts other spren. Mm-hmm as evidenced by the weird spren they've been seeing. And the other she calls Ashertmarn. Ashertmarn, okay. The heart of the revel. So this is the the spirit of corruption, greed, gluttony that seems to have taken over the queen and everyone in her circle as well. I was just coming to grips with the idea that there was one unmade. I mean, I kind of knew that's what it was, but I was right. just sort of bitching in the past. I was like, why are you just telling me this instead of like, giving me an opportunity, and now you're like, oh, but there's two. I'm like, God damn it. I just... And we find out later, there's more. <laughs> there's more than two. It's uh, it's messy. It's messy. It's a unmade teenage love triangle. It is. <laughs> it's just messy. I think Saja Anat is the Molly Ringwald. <laughs> uh, another no- thing that was highlighted in my Kindle, not by me, but by someone else, um, but that I had noticed before as well is that Kaladin notices an odd Kremlin. Kremlin is bulbous with a strange tan pattern on its back. They fell silent, listening to the room shake with the sound of thunder outside. Kaladin finished his drink, wishing it was one of Rock's concoctions instead, and flicked away an odd Kremlin that he spotted, clinging to the side of the bench. It had a multitude of legs and a bulbous body, and a strange tan pattern on its back. Disgusting. 
even with stresses to the city, the proprietor could at least keep this place clean. And then I wrote, apropos of nothing, meaning it's not a normal Kremlin, it's one of Sauron's spies. <laughs> right. <laughs> so are you team Shadolin? Or are you team Valadin? Oh man, listen, I'm kind of, I'm kind of done with the whole Shaladin Adolin love triangle. I've already, particularly as it relates to Shal, uh, Shalon and Adolin. Uh huh. I've friend zoned them completely. You friend zoned them totally both. Totally friend zoned. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. They're I done. Mean, yeah. So we, so we have this <laughs> obvious uh, Shaka Shakala Adolin love triangle. We uh-huh. all see where it's going. So like, stop blowing my tits and wrangle a digit, you coward. <laughs> been doing this for 1500 pages <laughs> dry as the shattered planes <laughs> hey he's moving slowly because he cares i mean where's capsule when you need him right right he's dead but at least he didn't fuck around <laughs> i really liked this quote and i wrote it down adeline colon in her life was like a warm sunrise but Vale started to creep out, and she was forced to acknowledge that sometimes she preferred the storm and the rain to the sun. And this is Ooh. right after a scene where Adolin goes out of his way to try and admire Shallan's artwork, mm-hmm. you know, which is not something I, I, you, that you see Kaladin ever doing. He's kind of too, a little too self-involved to, to be that kind of person in a relationship. Well... To be fair, they're not really spending a lot of time together in that context either. I'm projecting and saying, but I feel confident in my projection that that is not the kind of boyfriend that Galadin is. I'm just saying. Trying to save the world here, Shalon. <laughs> Don't have time to listen to your crap. Yeah. We can't all sit around and sketch in our sketchbooks. Some of us have real jobs to do, Shalon. <laughs> That's just, I'm just saying, I'm confident in my projection, okay? <laughs> Oh, and another, one other cool thing that happens is that Vatha, at the end of this chapter, uh, draws in some stormlight. He and he begins squire, yeah. to a- exhibit Shallan's powers. He doesn't seem super happy about that, but that's pretty cool. I thought he seemed happy about it. Well, he seems very overwhelmed, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good... Yeah, happy is definitely not the right word. Right. Yeah, for sure. Chapter 78 is called The Revel. Kaladin confronts Azure, while Shallan confronts the heart of the Revel. Azure is a badass. The heart of the Revel is gross. <laughs> An attack on the walls brings everything to a head, and Shallan jumps off the Oath Gate in retreat. So I really like the way that Kaladin and Vale's infiltrations kind of build up off of each other here. Yeah, it's an interesting. It's a a nice kind of tension Mm -hmm. building where they they switch back and forth as each is getting a little bit closer to their goal. You know, then we kind of go to the next one as well. But first, I want to point out this this idea that Shallan has in the beginning about the fact that Vale's face is exposed. People have seen it. They recognize it. They know who she is. And... She thinks, oh, this, I should have put on a disguise. And then another part of her thinks, well, Veil is a disguise. I could just stop wearing this disguise. But that is, that idea to her is intolerable. That's as real, that it would be easier to get rid of Shallan than it would be to get rid of being Veil. But she has the idea for the first time. 
Yes. But she expresses it. Yes. Which is something. So I wrote down, but Vale is a false face, a part of her said. You could always abandon her. She strangled that part of her, smothered it deep. Vale was too real, too vital to abandon. Shallan would be easier. Strangled. Smothered. Mm-hmm. Goodness. Keep it in your pants. <laughs> now, what it actually reminded me of when I read it was her killing of her father. Yes. And I'm sure that's not on accident. Yeah, the other thing I noted is is Vale takes a memory for Shallan. I'm just getting very convoluted here. I'll file this and went away from my other personality. From my other personality, right. And I loved her. So she she infiltrates and she's met by this ardent whose job it is to kind of watch her and make sure she doesn't get up to anything. And and he's kind of like, okay, uh, your name is, well, your name is Kishi. You like that, right? <laughs> and then, but then when she puts on a disguise, she becomes Kishi, which stands for mystery, but she very quickly takes on that uh, just an alternate person. It's becoming very easy for her to do that. Listen, if if you get to get a new name, like I'm in. Right. Like I'm I'm a joiner. Listen, I've taken jobs just to use the bathroom. <laughs> I'm so non-confrontational. I went as Mike for 10 years <laughs> just to avoid pissing off our neighbor. You think he's making that up, but he's not. <laughs> I think the cult angle is just interesting. Mm-hmm. I just do. Because it's weird how in our society, you know, people, even people who are atheist, you know, when they're having sex will shout out the name of God. But you yell L. Ron Hubbard one time, and they all ask you to leave the hotel orgy. <laughs> so as she's there, you know, infiltrating this cult, she hears this voice in her head and it's very powerful and it's very disturbing. Um, Patterns, vibrations seem to counteract the voice. And that is the only way that she doesn't get completely sucked in. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of worthy. Well, and the way that they, the way that they walk around and the way that they're sort of dancing and they, you know, not taking care of themselves. It very much reminds me of the Fae in Jonathan Strange. Mm, yes, very true. Everything about the Rebel, the Heart mm-hmm. of Rebel, reminds me very much of that. Yes, good, good connection there. That is really what kind of what I pictured as well. I also like so. I spent a lot of time like thinking, what is the the Rebel about? Like, what is it trying to say? What is it trying to do? You know, and we really know very little about it. Other than, you know, the tiny little hints that, that Shalana's has given us. But but it's sort of like, you know, this is a city where there are all these people who are struggling to get food. It's a huge, in this section, particularly the early part of this section, it's a huge theme that's going on. And all these people are just, they're not even eating the mm-hmm. food. You know, they're just collecting the things that are scarce for all the people outside. Mm-hmm. So is it, you know, is it about drawing a distinction between those people who are there and everybody else? Is it is it or is it a more physical, practical ploy just to try to get people to come mm-hmm. so that the unmade can contaminate them? Mm-hmm. I don't really know, but it's but it's sort of an interesting thing. Like, because you have to think about this unmade creature and say, how does this unmade benefit? 
from this? Like, why is this the thing that it wants to do? To what end? Well, we know about the unmade that some of them are sentient and some of them are not. And this seems to be one of the ones that is not sentient. Sajanat tells Shalon later on that that this um, Asher Tamarn or whatever is uh, the heart of the rebel is just a mindless kind of sucking kind of need. It's not it's it doesn't really have agency that it just is what it is. And so as it, you know, it's it's landed here in Kolinar and it's it's just kind of doing what it does, which is just feeding on emotions and and creating these intense emotions in others and just kind of ricocheting the feelings back and and it's it's really kind of a compelling look at what cults are like you know and they almost do seem to have a force of their own a kind of like just enveloping need that sucks people in without a whole lot of rhyme or reason so i don't know if that's what brandon sanderson was going through there but that's kind of what it how it speaks to me or they are a tool for something else to simply collect money and power. And, you know, is this Ashton Martin, Ashton Martin, being driven around, being driven around by some (laughs) other smarter unmade? (laughs) That I think that's probably, I I do think that that is what is going on. Well, especially the way all this ends. Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about Azure for a second, because the other thing that's happening in this chapter is Kaladin is finally confronting Azure. He's he's invited to have dinner with her. He kind of plops down across from her. He's like, he's like, so what's going on with you? Tell me all your tell me all your secrets. What's what's up with you having boobs? Yeah. <laughs> and everyone is like horrified. And she's like, I don't know, man. That's all on them. Yeah. <laughs> they're, you know, they're the ones who don't want to talk about it. I think it's weird. And and he kind of tests her and she tests him back and she's like, Well, how did you know, what's your deal? How did you get here? He's like, I flew, you know. Yeah. And that, that was the line that I picked up on because they're she's like, How'd you get here? He says, I flew. And they're just like, hmm, okay. Right. And roll on like that's not And then she asks outlandish. him if he came here chasing her. Because she's obviously a world hopper and thinks that he is too. That he is as well. Right. Now, I, so I understand her not getting, you know, up in arms about that, but why didn't everybody else around the table react to that? I, I imagine they just thought he was being flippant or yeah. joking, yeah. you know? The other thing that really confused me about this interaction was I, I had to read this interaction, particularly towards the end of it, when she's asking him about scars and he's asking her about her scars. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, I don't remember her being described as having scars on her face. She is. She, uh, she has yeah. a scar on her face. And then, you know, we. I'll bring it up. Well, okay, I'll bring it up now. So things happen later in the chapter. You've already sort of hinted that it seems like this is Vivenna. And then things happen at the end that, I mean, 99.9% confirm that it's Vivenna. And right. I'm like, did, did I miss something? I don't remember her having scars in Warbreaker. Well, that's a very good point. She is definitely, her appearance is described as being different. However, if you remember their powers in Warbringer and the powers that 
that the other, you know, kind of high magic users had, uh, changing their appearance was one of them. So either A, she got a scar between now and then, and she certainly gained some sort of magic sword. So shit's happened. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, also, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, True. and Warbreaker, she was able to change the the length and color of her hair quite easily. So yeah, that I remember. But you know, she um, she wasn't described as having orange eyes in Warbreaker, but in this, she's described as being very alethi looking. She has dark dark um, tan skin and light orange eyes. Yeah, she so, also didn't have dark tan skin either. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, it's for me that it jives with her her set of powers that we know she has that she could change the way she looks pretty easily. Well, eye color, hair color, but I, I guess, you know, eye color, air, eye color, hair color are sort of confirmed in Warbreaker, but this is something new. The scar. Yeah. Well, uh, it's, oh, and it changing, sounds like she's probably got... Changing a, her appearance... Other changing her skin color, you know, in Warbreaker, they could change the color of things. They could not change the substance of things. Well, that's what, something that we saw Vasher do, though. He completely changed his appearance. Oh, okay. Yeah. I only read that once, so. Yeah. So, I, you know, for me, I would just assume that, that Vivenna has also grown in her, her ability to use her powers as well. Yeah, we also didn't see her... You know, there was nothing to indicate at the end of Warbreaker that she was, like, on the verge of world hopping. Exactly. So. so something's happened to her between now and then. So at the end of this chapter, when Shallan gets sort of into the interior part of the Revel. Yes. The shadow starts facing the wrong way. Mm-hmm. She hears the voice, but then she hears, it sounds like, I don't, I couldn't tell if it was like the voice is going on and then the voice is also speaking to her or if mm-hmm. it was a second voice I think I it, thought was, it a was a second, second voice. voice that's yeah. the way I took it yeah uh, and then it ends uh, with her saying she didn't check on her guide she walked to the rim of the Oathgate platform and without a look back leaped off and that is how I leave work every day <laughs> you just walk to the edge of the platform just, just right off just <laughs> keep going chapter 79 is called Echoes of Thunder Kaladin and Azure lead the defense against the fused. It's pretty epic, and Kaladin manages to bring down one of the bad guys. He whips out his shard blade, and Azure is convinced to stop dicking around and start showing him some answers. He got one. <laughs> so he grabbed it by the tail. He wrote it. <laughs> he wrote it down like a wild pig. <laughs> Woo, doggy! So hang on, Kaladin. Don't let go. Now you finally find out what those long tails are for. Right. So so we can drag you down and kill you. (laughs) So Azure uses a couple of color metaphors here that are significant. You know, speaking about the likelihood of her being Vivenna, she at one point says, I bet my red life on it. Mm -hmm. Um, This is like white on black. Once you kind of go it's into a scarlet these, scene. Yeah, that's yeah, I in a later chapter yeah. it's gonna be scar you know, scarlet. So those are just some little hints for us. She and Kaladin are, are, you know, still refusing to come up off of their secrets, but then this fight breaks out. And Kaladin realizes that fighting without stormlight is hard, yo. Is this what regular people have to do? <laughs> it's also pointed out again that the fused heal just like radiance do, mm-hmm. which, you know is pretty necessary if you're going to have heroes as powerful as the Radiants are. You really have to have your villains be that powerful as well. Mm -hmm. He still manages to kill one, though. um, 
and in that in combination with the fact that he's like, hey, I'm from the king. Here's my shard blade of proof. We, you know, we got to figure out what's going on here. He finally decides to use his stormlight privilege for something good. Right. I don't have a lot of notes for this chapter or the next couple, actually. I will, however, point out that in the snapter here, you're not going to believe it. I pointed out something in the snapter in the episode, like prior to somebody making me do it. <laughs> well, the snapters in this section have a lot of, re- this is not like relevance hundreds of pages later. Mm-hmm. The, they have a lot of relevance for what's going on right now. So what did you point out in the snapter? So in the snapter it says, Spren and Unmade can be captured. Yes. And I was like, perhaps in some sort of jar. Like Wit was carrying around. Good point. That's it. That's all I yeah. got. Chapter 80 is called Oblivious. Vale heads to hand out more food after her unsettling experience at the Oath Gate. She doesn't find what she expects. Grund the orphan isn't happy to see her. It turns out the street gang in charge of his neighborhood has been stealing the food she brings him, making him and everyone she's helped a target for violence. Grund is killed by the thugs, but Vale is able to warn off Muri. Turns out Vale hasn't really been helping anyone. Saddest chapter in the book. This was pretty sad. Low. This was pretty sad. So, are we ever just going to get to be like Star Trek The Next Generation, where like social inequality is wiped out? No. Basically, nobody. No. I feel like this is what Brandon Sanderson is saying here. Like, even in a world where you can magically manufacture food. Right. Still, still going to be inequality. Yep. Like, the problem is just going to be human nature. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's a problem right now with there not being enough food for people mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is a, a very sad chapter and, a, and obviously a huge, leads into a, a huge turning point for Shalon slash Vale. She kind of realizes that that she is not in control of the situation as she thought and that she has, in trying to help, she's really kind of messed up these people's lives. Yeah, it leads to a, a crisis of, of faith, a, a crisis of, of her sort of self-understanding. It, it's it's a low, low point for Shalon, and she becomes not crippled by it, but she, she definitely, you know, withdraws into herself and... Mm-hmm. Uh, and has a, a little bit of a moment, and it's understandable. Mm-hmm. Contrasted with some things that happen later. Yeah, and this is a very short chapter. It's kind of just this quick, these quick two scenes, and then we're on to the next. But it definitely sets up a pretty major happening that's going to be coming up pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Chapter 81 is called Ithy and Her Sister. Azure shows Kaladin her secret room. Turns out that Wit showed her how to shield a soulcaster from the Fabriel police, and she's got an Arden or two stashed in the wall. Kaladin tells her about the plan to activate the Oath Gate and enlists the wall guard's help to enact the plan. So the first rule of nuclear gardening is that you don't talk about nuclear gardening. <laughs> Man, I love a secret room. You know what our place is missing? Yeah, we don't have Damn any secret, secret rooms. Room. We don't have any secret rooms. We've got this weird closet here where the sump pump is, but I don't think that counts. Well, there's a there's a huge door on it. So 
it's not very secret. We could cover that up over there and <laughs> put a secret door. Put a painting with eyes behind it that are cut out and obviously follow you. I, you know what? It's goals right there. House goals. <laughs> I, I love the part where Kaladin also, you know, finally reveals, you know, he's from the king and kind of who he is. And uh, Beard, who is one of his wall guard buddies, who is you know, known for boasting about everything is like, so you know, the Blackthorn, huh? And he's like, yeah. He's like, so, you know, he's like, yeah, I, I know that you, you never went swimming with him in the pure lake and all of the stories. You he's like, wow, you know? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of funny, but you know, the important thing that happens here is that we realize what, that Azure is not a soul caster, which is what Kaladin and, the team had suspected mm -hmm. that she was getting this grain because she was actually a radiant. It turns out that's not the case. No, I th also thought it was interesting that we get to see, is it Ishi, I believe is her name? Yes. Uh, we get to see sort of her beginning to become afflicted with the same thing that impacted that other soul caster we saw in one of the right. interludes, you know, where she's starting to take on uh, certain physical traits that demonstrate the beginning of her sort of demise. Right, and that's sort of the the price of power that that we see here. If you're going to wield these powers without the bond of a spren, this is the the price. Again, another very short chapter leading up to the, what is, the kind of yeah, the climax at the end of, of this section here. Mm -hmm. Chapter eighties two is called "The Girl Who Looked Up." Shalon has a nervous breakdown. Fortunately, Wit turns out to be a pretty good therapist. He helps her to realize that the crux of her problem lies in her lack of acceptance and self-forgiveness. While she isn't cured instantly, Shalon seems to be on the road to healing. She heads back to the tailor's shop, where she is met by Kaladin, who is delivering an army for the king. So first off, damn. Shalon kind of listing all of her trauma in a mm -hmm. row makes you realize, oh wait... She had a rough couple of years. That's why she's kind of cracked. Yeah, it's not even been a couple of years, really. No, it's, it's been like a year, maybe? Well, not only well, that, guess, but her yeah. entire life, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. Killing her mother. Killing her father. I mean, you I don't mean, really need to go further than that you know, for most people. <laughs> but then you've got, you know, the death of Yasna. Capsule. Killing Tin. Capsule. The return you know, of Yasna. The return of Yasna. I mean... It has been one thing after another, so you're kind of like, oh, it's just a little reminder that, that oh, yeah. Plus she's that creepy old lady in the ghost bloods. Right? I like, mean. No, I'm the master, I swear. Uh, yeah, I mean. You can't be lied to like that and not be changed. So boy, is she, she's kind of cracked. But the, the important thing that she's realizing is that, oh, wait, and, it, and it's especially poignant on, you know, kind of back-to-back with the experiences that she's had, um, the temptation to give up Vale and how she could never give up Vale, that's part of who she is. Mm -hmm. But she recognizes here that, oh, wait, Vale is a lie. Like, I've never actually lived on the streets. I don't actually have that experience yeah, right. and knowledge. And just pretending that I do doesn't make it so. Yeah, I mean, fake it till you make it only goes so far. She, you know, and, and she realizes that if she had lived on the streets, then maybe she would have recognized that, oh, hey, street gangs are a thing. Mm -hmm. And you can't just, you know, throw resources into an environment like this and not have it cause a ripple. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that this caused this this boy's life. She's really kind of just crushed by this. 
So as you said, it starts with a conversation with Wit, where Wit sort of plays therapist, and he he makes the following comment. He says, failure is the mark of a life well-lived. In turn, the only way to live without failure is to be of no use to anyone. And this is something that comes up multiple times in this book, both the concept of forgiveness, but also the idea that failure in and of itself is not necessarily a negative thing. It's how you become good. It's the only way that you learn the only way you can really do anything is to risk failure. So that's something that um, I've really enjoyed about uh, this book and the themes in this book. Absolutely. This chapter is is one of my favorites, even though nothing really happens, but you were coming to, to a huge turning point in, in all of these these unhealthy coping mechanisms that we've seen this character building up over time. We're not sure if there was going to be a purpose for it, but now we're seeing her have to deal with them. And Mm -hmm. like, that's the thing with unhealthy coping mechanisms. They work until they don't. Mm -hmm. And then they're really bad. So that I think that's something that a lot of us can connect to. And their self, these coping mechanisms have been self perpetuating for her. You know, it started when she was very young, this idea of kind of, push it down and just become someone else, become mm-hmm. someone that that didn't happen to. But now it's become a crisis where she's she can't even hold on to her own identity. She says, when I wear Vale's face, I have to think like her. And seeing the larger scope grows difficult when she takes over, but I want her to take over because she's not me. So she's finally acknowledging here that Vale is not her. You know, maybe it's an aspect of her personality that she likes to express, but it's not who she is. It's not Mm -hmm. what she's actually been through. But yeah, Witt points out that, you know, her intention was to try and help. Um, And I really liked what you said about failure. Uh, Shalon has this like pathological need to avoid failure. And like she's, we've seen her just craft all of these personalities every time she senses any inadequacy in herself, mm-hmm. even going so far as to when she was kind of walking with Adolin and thinking how great she was. And she was like, I'm not good enough for, I need to become a different person. I need to put on a persona mm-hmm. to be the perfect wife for him, you know? And then she's, she's starting to realize that that's going too far. And so Wit goes back to the story of the girl who looked up, which I, absolutely love for me this is just the epitome of what a story within a story can do because it seems like there's a lot of like actual truth here but it's also a reflection of what's going on with this character yeah it's great as stories within a story go it's not very often that you get the story within a story but then you also get the story within a story again told from a different perspective Mm mm-hmm so that that's pretty interesting. And you have, again, the girl who looked up, the, lived in an area where there was no light. They farmed in darkness, ate in darkness. I'm not sure what they were eating. Mm-hmm. Mushrooms, I guess. Mm-hmm. There was no stormlight, tons of psilocybin. That was it. <laughs> um, you know, and there's this wall to keep things out. And, it, and he talks about the wall keeping out God's light. Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder what is the wall in Roshar. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems to me that it's like Voronism, which is all about keeping, you know, keeping sort of the the powers of the spren and the bonds away. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't want that to happen. But also this seems to, I think that this 
whole thing is like a Rosharn origin story. Like, mm-hmm. I believe this might actually, you know, it might have held over because it, it carries some sort of real truth in the world. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, the person to go out and steal God's life, light and then afterwards the storm came was a mm-hmm. woman. Always a woman. Because women get shit done. They get shit done. I mean, <laughs> sometimes it's good shit and sometimes it's questionable shit, but we get it done. That's right. <laughs> Everyone else is supposed to stand around and ignore this big-ass wall here. No, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Gonna eat my mushrooms and sit in the dark. <laughs> it, it, all, it, it, it has a, a very obvious biblical analog sort of mm-hmm. feel. It yeah. definitely does. Yeah. You know, and if that's the case, then the storms are like the pains of childbirth, and the light is the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. If you're going to take it back to sort of a Genesis perspective. But what it also seems to say about the world, if I'm reading it correctly, is that stormlight itself is actually directly from God, not necessarily from honor mm-hmm. or from any of those sort of deities that we're dealing with, but from the big, you know, unnamed creator God, mm-hmm. um, and that the power comes with the storm itself. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like Dad has to yell at us if we ever want to watch TV again. That's a really good point, and I think it's significant that Wit uses capital G God. It mm-hmm. was God's light because we know that he does not consider honor God or any of the, the, the gods of Voronism because when he's talking to Dalinar, he, you know, he said something about God being dead, honor is dead. And he, and, and Wit says, who, Tanifast? He's like, no, he wasn't God. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean there isn't a real God. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And that's one of the things that sort of interesting about this whole perspective is that you do sort of have these low-level deities, these planes hoppers and people, uh, but not, but none of that actually, I mean, it has an impact on what's going on around them, but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the creator God. Like, mm-hmm. that's still a whole nother level mm-hmm. that we don't have any sort of insight into. Yeah, so I think that you're absolutely right and that this story has some actual truth and, and may even be an origin story for this world that it's been told twice is very significant. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely think holding on to the actual details um, is important, but I also think it has a lot of symbolism as far as what's going on with Shalon and her character. You know, you've got a girl who's questioning the walls in her life, mm-hmm. you know, even though, you know, in Shalon's case, a lot of them are, are walls that she put up, but is questioning why things are the way that things should be. You know, she's living in a place that's, really dark um and that realizing this whole idea of realizing that she and her people are mo- are the monsters that are mm, being kept yeah. out and that is what Shalon has got to face is the idea that she's not a monster and the, for me when wit like puts his arms around her and she just starts crying and he says you're not a monster that's just one of the most emotionally poignant moments in this book so far you know because it's so that's just so typical of people who go through childhood trauma. You know, they internalize that trauma um, because it gives them an illusion of of control over it. You know, um, bad things were done to them, but then they kind of, you know, you kind of convince yourself that you're the bad one mm-hmm. because that's easier than accepting that you were just powerless in that situation. And, you know, we're spending an awful lot of time talking about Shalon and her sort of breakdown because... This breakdown, pick me up after school special, pat on the back conversation, it feels very real. It feels very earned. And we can sort of understand 
where Shalana is coming from and why she would have this sort of crisis in this moment. I think that's absolutely true. And for me, what makes it even more well done is the fact that Shalon doesn't walk out of this room a completely different healed person. Hmm. You know, it's not like, it's like we have this one conversation and she has an important realization. Um, but she says, you know, she, when she leaves, it says she felt better, not well yet. It was all still there, but something about Wit's words helped her. So I think that that's, that's just so, so much more, um, true to what actual healing is like, you know? Yeah, exactly. And we've talked about this in Kaladin's journey as well, that, you know, he has some important, you know, cathartic experiences. And it's, it certainly is very powerful to have a corrective emotional experience like that. But it doesn't fix everything from here on out. You know, it's it's a journey. It goes up and down. And so I really like that Brandon Sanderson does that when he's writing about people who are are, are struggling with emotional issues. I, and I loved the part where at the end, Wit, he he creates two constructs, two kind of versions of herself, and he forces her to look at who she really is. And he kind of tells her like, you know, she's she's told herself this story where she's this broken, useless child and she needs all of these personas in order to be able to navigate the world. But what he tells her is you're the, you're actually the one that's still standing and all of them are parts of you. So it's just the first step to her being able to integrate who she is. So it's just all very well written. And then she goes back as, as oh, I love this part. Then she goes back to the tailor shop as Shalon, but still wearing Vale's clothes. And mm-hmm. to her, this is like a huge scandalous thing. She's like, yeah, yeah. And Adolin's like, hey, sweet jacket. <laughs> looks great on you. Yeah, it's not it's n- not at all the reception she thought she was going to get. Uh-huh. And and then again when when Kaladin shows up with the wall guard and Aelin's like, "Of course, he's probably like their captain or something now." <laughs> like, but I just love Aelin's non-jealousy of Kaladin and and get in, I'll get into this a little bit more, you know, when they have the battle at the end, but Kaladin's just like he's flying around, he's blazing with stormlight, he's, you know, and mm-hmm. Aelin's just like all right. Yeah. You know, and he just, he's not challenged by it. He's not, he's not insecure enough to be, you know, to be, not be able to handle that. So I just, I like that about his character. Chapter 83 is called Crimson to Break. The Scooby Gang prepares for its assault on the palace. As they set off, the Fused begin a concerted attack on the city, complete with stone giants. They battle their way through the halls and make it to the control room, which is still covered by a giant, disgusting black heart. So we start this chapter with Adolin talking to his shard blade, and my heart grew three sizes. <laughs> because I just love it. I, so he, he tells his shard blade that he's, he's like, so, I guess you used to be alive or something. <laughs> But basically, he's like, thank you for being there for me. I'm going to use you to do good things. And I'm like, if you're going to, you know, make your way through the world by swinging the corpse of a of a previously sentient being around, it's nice to acknowledge it. That's what's going on. I mean, it's not as foreign as you might think. We People wield staffs and shoot arrows at each other, and those are the corpses of living creatures. I, I mean. So he pulls it out, and he says, it was thick at the base. Oh, yeah? As wide as a man's palm. 
That why? And the front waved like the ripples of a moving eel. What? The back had small crystalline protrusions growing out of it. Gross. No sheath could hold a weapon like this. I should think not. <laughs> no mortal sword. Oh, sword. <laughs> Sorry, I thought we were talking about botany. <laughs> so we start, as you stated, from Aelin's perspective. And I think it's, it's um, strange to me that through this whole section that we've been in uh, Kolinar, we get very little of Adolin's perspective, mm-hmm. almost none, mm-hmm. and none of Elikar's. Now, we never really get inside of Elikar's right. head, so that, right. that's fine. But uh, we've spent all this time pretty much bouncing between Kaladin and Shallan, but Kaladin and Shallan are conveniently the ones who don't know anything about the city or the town. Right. Like, Adolin would be able to give perspective about everything that's going on, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it, I just, it's an interesting choice to choose not to spend any time or very little time in his head, mm-hmm. given the context that he could provide having grown up here. That's a really good point. I also noted that he thinks about Sadius and that he still doesn't know whether he feels ashamed or proud about what he did there. He says... It had felt so satisfying to shove it through Sadius's eye. He still didn't know whether to feel ashamed or proud. And I wrote, that's, that's a problem. It's a little it's a, it's a problem, man. And later he says, a part of him deep down worried. He didn't deserve to bear his father's glyphs anymore. And I'm like, yeah, if you can't accept that what you did is wrong, I think I might agree. I, I really enjoy the fact that everyone around him thinks that Adolin is this completely simple kind of vain, I mean, good dude, but also, you know, not a whole lot of depth there. Yeah. And Shallan in particular kind of looks down on him as being like, oh, Adolin, my little ray of stupid sunshine. Yeah. You know? (laughs) He's a puppy dog and a shard plate. I I mean, he hasn't murdered both of his parents, but... But he he is harboring this secret mm -hmm. and kind of just rolling with the punches with it. So I, I kind of really like that. He's got a little bit of depth there. He says later, Storms, there was something about a woman in trousers and coat. (laughs) There's just something about a woman in a cardboard box. (laughs) What? Or a barrel. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe the inside of a van with all the windows blacked out. (laughs) Or like a bank vault, the next town over. That's how I like my women. Missing. I just thought that was an interesting comment because, uh-huh. I mean, trousers and a coat is not like, you know, nobody's going, man, I just can't wait to see Kate Upton in trousers and a coat, you know? Like, it's not a well, part of our... I, I think that the the difference is that on Roshar, trousers and a coat is not something that women of high breeding wear ever. You know, it's I, something I, worn by the lower classes, you know? I also have a problem with the word trousers. Trousers? Uh, really? It's an ugly word. Is it? Yeah, like, there's just something about, hey, go over there and th- put on some trousers, you know, like. I think it's kind of a fun word. Trouser. Yeah, I don't know. I love to see me abroad in trousers. <laughs> I mean, it's not a very sexy word. Handing sure. out blood worms at the <laughs> pier number four. <laughs> Gonna go catch some sea perch with old <laughs> trouser Tammy. 
true. It's not very uh, right. It's not very sexy. Every once in a while, trouser Tammy comes around in a sundress, <laughs> and I'm like, "Get out of here with that shit!" <laughs> Nobody wants to see your lack of straight lines. <laughs> I'm just saying, you never know what's going to happen on this podcast. It's true. So let's talk about Azure's sword. Because as they're they're battling through the palace, Adolin notices that there's something weird about Azure's shard blade. Not the first time we've noticed that it's a little different. First of all, she walks around with it in a scabbard and hangs it on a peg. It doesn't, she doesn't mm-hmm. dismiss it. It doesn't have a gemstone in the pommel. And then during the battle, um, he notices that it men who are stabbed with Azure's blade, their eyes don't smoke. But they go a strange ashen gray, like all the color gets drained out of them. Mm-hmm. That's worthy of noting. Um, also, as she's fighting, she wraps her cloak around her arm, which seems strange to him. But it makes me think about the way that the cloaks were used uh, on in the world of Warbreaker. Yeah, that was the, the point awakening of, cloaks. That was the point when I was reading it where I said, OK, all right, finally confirmed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I didn't, like, the first time through, and then I, I actually read that theory on, on Coppermind, and I was like, what? And then I read it again with that being pointed out to me, and I was like, oh, yeah. So yeah. that's kind of cool, and that's why I, I, I think brought I was, it to your attention Yeah, as well. I think I was on board when I started hearing all the color, just constantly yes. referencing colors. Yeah. But I was mm-hmm. perplexed by the appearance. Mm-hmm. But then when she wrapped her cloak around her arm, I'm like, okay, well, right. you, can't, you can't really deny it at this point. Yeah. Even if I want to be a... Contrary, and I, <laughs> but and I, I do, I do. <laughs> There's some very interesting uh, people have asked Brandon questions about um, her sword, Azure's sword, um, or Vivenna's sword versus Nightblood, and how there might be some similarities, or are they related? Because is Nightblood sort of a shard blade? He seems to work in this world as one but so it's kind of cool and we can dig into that a little bit later it it is interesting how when world hoppers seem to come to this place their powers work in a way that is not like they were on their native world Mm -hmm. but also not exactly like they work Mm -hmm. on roshar like they they have a lot of the appearances of the way things work on roshar but they're always a little different or I say always as though I have a huge right. uh, you know, body of samples to look through, but it, it appears that way. But no, if you read interviews with Brandon Sanderson, people come up with the craziest questions and he's always able to answer it. So they're like, it's like, how do breaths work on Roshar? And then, you know, how... Uh, how do they'll be like what about uh, if you took uh you know on on the mistborn world they have these spikes these hemallergic spikes that are used in different way like what if you took uh you know this kind of metal from roshar and made a hemallergic spike out of it he always can answer like he knows how it's just amazing it's amazing it's It's, very impressive it's a whole another level of nerd (laughs) it really it's multiple phd level of nerd it's (laughs) It really is pretty cool. So during the battle, they also find some loyal palace guards. So we find out that whatever has infected the palace, it doesn't have a a 100% infection rate. So they kind of add, and it's it's just a, it's a well-written battle in my opinion. Mm -hmm. They kind of go through, they're fighting through everywhere. Um, Then they hear a voice saying, 
passion, sweet passion. (laughs) It just makes me think of the Continental. (laughs) (laughs) Champagne? (laughs) No, stay. stay. No, stay. Stay. (laughs) Give me your passion. I mean, it's one of the best sketches ever. Yeah. I actually had a couple of notes uh, from before we even got to that fight. So the first okay. is that we have thunderclasts. Yes, we do. I mean, they walked a long way from the Shattered Plains. <laughs> I mean, really? How did they get them here? You know. Uh, and the other is that they there's the comment that um, other crews had there were ladder crews scaling the walls, and I said, ah, ladder crews. That means we're going to see Moash. And you were right. I was. Chapter 84 is called The One You Can Save. The battle for the Oathgate continues. Kaladin and Elikar make their way to the Queen, while Adolin and Shallan head to the control building. Kaladin and Elikar find that Asudan has bonded with Yelignar the Unmade. They manage to escape with Elokar's son, but they are set upon by some familiar Parshmen, Kaladin's old friends. Seeing friends on both sides of the battle breaks Kaladin, and he freezes up, even as the battle devolves around him. Elokar almost finds the words to become a Radiant, when Moash kills him. Shallan is warned by Sajah-Anat, the Unmade, who claims to not be an enemy. So, before we get into our analysis of this chapter, I just have one question. Mm-hmm. As an ER doctor, what is the strangest thing that you've ever pulled out of anyone's butt? <laughs> That's a good question. Let's see. Um, I mean, shampoo bottles are pretty common. Uh, uh, more than one matchbox car, if you believe it. Um, I think the craziest, though, is like uh, this one time a man tied a glyph ward to like this enormous dildo. I mean, that's, I mean, that's probably got to be it. Okay. That's got to be it. No, wait. No, 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 no. The, no, the craziest thing they ever saw was there was this one rich lady who came into the ER who had shoved this like huge magical gem inside her cooch. <laughs> and I was like, Whatever possessed you to do that? And she says, I have taken the gemstone into me and have harnessed Yelignar's power. And then, like, the lights began to flicker, and, like, suddenly the room was filled with stray cats everywhere, and, like, the nursing staff begins to dance, but, like, there's no music playing, and giant centipedes start crawling through the walls, and, and, uh, and, uh, and then, uh, and then Linda from pediatrics, and she had she had only been working there for a few weeks, and and uh, and then Debbie, oh God, Debbie was my best friend, and she grabbed me, and in their eyes it was it was it was just death, just just death there, and and the other nurses they held me down, and this lady she sits bolt upright, and. And there's this black smoke emanating from her sin chute. And I start to scream. And the smoke enters my mouth and it's choking me. It's choking me. And the lady says, 
Yelignar serves me, Ashtamarn. You are merely a force of consumption, mindless to be harnessed. And I said, my name is Brian. And then she said, oh. And she just got up and walked out. Yeah, that's got to be the craziest thing that I ever took out of anyone's sex hole. This episode brought to you by Adam and Eve. Who? Okay. That was an homage to uh, Matt Bronger and his Ukrainian shovel fighter. Nice. I I, I believe you posted that bit on the Facebook page, so anyone who is confused should check it out. How could you be confused? I just told you an awesome story. <laughs> I mean, someone might be confused, is all I'm saying. (laughs) So this is a pretty big plot point, turning point for this book. Yeah? Yeah. A lot of stuff happens in this chapter. This is the the chapter that, I mean, definitely the part hinges on and potentially even the book because we had like last time you know we had a lot of sort of interesting things happen in dalinar's backstory Mm -hmm. backstory right you know this is the death of the king and if i'm not mistaken they don't even rescue his son they definitely don't rescue his wife which means the whole line of alethi is gone well and as someone who is not at for to avoid spoilers, you are not on any of the Stormlight Archives group pages or Reddits or anything like that. I will tell you that Moash killing Elokar is probably the most divisive and hotly contested event in the entire series. It should be. Yeah. Moash did opinions. nothing wrong. Those are fighting words <laughs> anywhere you go. <laughs> It's actually become like the most popular meme is Moash did nothing wrong because it's so divisive. I have opinions for sure. Let's start from the beginning. Yeah. So we open up and everyone's running around through the castle and whatever. And uh, they, they, they come near the Royal quarters and a Sudan is in there singing. So, you know, it's going to be bad. Yeah. (laughs) Like there is not good shit happening. If there is a, if your city is under attack, Giant stone monsters everywhere, and you're in your room singing. I want to rock and roll all night. (laughs) Brushing her hair and party every day. (laughs) So we we know that that is that is not going to be good. And you know, mean in the meanwhile, Shalon goes up and she notes that the heart is the wrong shape. So there, you know, there's some weird (laughs) shit going on. Yeah, that very much reminded me of like all the old Sinbad Sinbad movie. I wish I could remember the name of it, but it's, it's like the pirate with two hearts or right, something right. like that, where he stabs a guy through the heart and he doesn't die, and then later they find this enormous heart in a room somewhere. Mm-hmm. They're like, his heart is in a whole nother room. <laughs> it just reminded me of that. Um, the little boy in the corner being tormented by this Bren. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty That's like just a, a terrible, whole terrible scene. Yeah, the whole, I mean, the whole thing is quite twisted. Yeah. The um the thing that I noted though is that Kaladin is able to use Sill and 
kill the sprite? I don't know if he killed, I guess yes. killed them. Yeah. Which we don't really see in other places. So I thought that was sort of interesting. And and uh, still didn't even seem to realize it was possible. Yeah, yeah. I did have some problems in this fight. They're kind of minor. But Tell me. Kind of minor. But it was just sort of like it... Things that they were doing sort of tactically that made no sense to me. Like, mm-hmm. um, But it's one of those things where I, I don't really want to harp on it because I right. just suspect that it's more of not really fully understanding the description of the, the right. location and layout. I'm like, why would they do that? Like, it doesn't right. seem like that would be the right way to do it, but that's okay. Yeah, and probably getting bogged down in that stuff is not... No, no. Probably no. doesn't matter as much because really what, ha- what ends up happening being... The important thing that happens is that Kaladin, as they're escaping, and they he's he convinces Elikar, you got you got to leave this crazy broad. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> <I> trust me. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a faster breakup. <laughs> right, her, her eyes are glowing red. There's black smoke coming. She, you know, she had a an, an unmade suppository. Like, I yeah, mean, right. it's. We're done. Yeah, we're, but yeah, we're what, done with this one, dude. What I read, she's like, I've taken the crystal into me. I'm like. Oh, how? Like, that's really weird. Like, (laughs) you are a married woman. (laughs) But we'll have to get into the the Snapters later because they address that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So now we find out that there are three unmade in the city because we know we have Saja Anat because she's talking to Shalon later. Mm -hmm. We have the the Heart of the Rebel, which is there. And now we've got um, this one that is... Um, Yelignar, which has possessed mm-hmm. Asudan, or she thinks is she's controlling it, but uh, it doesn't seem like she is. So we've got three unmade here, but what's important is that Kaladin and Elikar get away with the prince, and they are confronted by a group of Parshmen that Kaladin knows. And so he's now, at this point, everyone that is fighting around him are people that he considers uh, people who are under his care. And it just kind of breaks his brain. Because the only way he's been able to kind of get through this, his whole central character crisis, and you may think it's boring. I mean, I'm not, not going to say I disagree. But is the whole idea of can you kill people in order to protect? And the fact that he was told from childhood on that you cannot use violence in, in a way that is morally acceptable. And he was told this by his father, who was a physician, and he's kind of been able to justify things to himself by saying, well, he's protecting people by be- using violence, and he is finally in a, in a situation where he cannot do that. This is, so this happens. He sees Saw, or mm-hmm. whatever the character's name is. You know, when he starts screaming, the can't we all just get along? Yeah. Stop fighting. Stop fighting. Stop. I, I so, can I just say <laughs> that I felt Kaladin being a mom who drives four kids home oh. from school. <laughs> I just say, just stop fighting. Stop it. See, when he collapses and sort of goes catatonic, I'm like, I, I'm at that point, I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Like it. Like, it doesn't seem earned to me. Mm-hmm. And it's not as though, like, we, I get, like, Kaladin's story arc and all of that, but 
this just sort of comes from out of nowhere. Like, he's, I mean, he's been on the battlefield so many times. I get that now there are people on the other side that he spent time with, Mm -hmm. but but he fought, you know, Moash against Delacar. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, his reaction to it seems sort of over the top to Mm -hmm. me. And then when he's completely catatonic, when Moash approaches, I'm like, okay, this is why he's reacting this way. So we can allow Moash to come in and then get away scot-free. So I will say, as far as his reaction being over the top, you're not the only person who feels that way. However, it does lead to, in the next part, it, it is not like, it leads to a further character arc for him. It's it's a, a continuation of another character arc. It's it's not all about just what what needs to happen with Moash. It seems like it's all about what needs to happen with Moash. However, so for me, I felt like he was not close enough to Moash to stop what was happening there. Well, and th- this was this will be sort of my playing devil's advocate against myself is is that this doesn't have to happen in order for Moash to get away with killing Elikar. Right. Right. So, so that's the, that's the sort of um, thing that I'll play. There's a, there's a million other ways that that could have gone down. Right. He didn't have to be immobilized for it to happen. Right. So for me, it's, it's not like, I don't feel about this nearly as much as I felt upset about the way uh, the, at the end of way of Kings with the sort of the way I felt sort of tricked at the way at the end of Way of Kings, I don't feel that way about this. It's more of like an annoyance, right? Than than anything else. Yeah, I will say you're not the only person who feels like his his reaction was kind of over the top, or like haven't we kind of already been here? But for me, just the idea that accepting that this is his central crisis is the idea of. Is there any way to engage in combat in a way that is uh, that is ethically justifiable? Well, and I think your point that he f- he finds himself in a situation where there's there's nothing he can do where somebody he cares about isn't going like he can't he can't be right. on a side right there is no right side right so I I understand. Understand that, but I, but I still feel like his reaction to it and becoming sort of catatonic and just breaking down mm-hmm. when we've never seen anything but competence from him mm-hmm. is uh, is a little unearned. Uh, so yeah, I accept what you're saying, and I don't want to go back and forth about it too much. I, I don't agree with you because I do feel like we've certainly seen Kaladin sink into a catatonic depression over and over in response to the same crisis that seems to keep coming up. I will say I don't find Kaladin's crisis as relatable or as interesting as I find Shallan's. Mm -hmm. So I do, I mean, I'm kind of with you in that I I roll my eyes a bit at Kaladin at this point, but I can intellectually, I can see what, what is going on here and that accept that, okay, this is his central crisis. And this is the point at which his crisis comes to a head and his, his version of what Shalon needs to do is, which is practice acceptance at the way things are, 
mm-hmm. um, and move forward or, you know, cause, cause for him, Kaladin has to be right, you know, and, and he's got to be, um, he's, he's got to be honorable in what he's doing. And that's what he, he can't handle any kind of accepting the fact that maybe what he's doing might be morally gray or that he might do the wrong thing. So he's kind of presented with the same choice that Shalon is. He kind of chooses not to move forward. He doesn't mm-hmm. have wit there to kind of get him out of it. And he just kind of freezes up. Now, I think the fact that it's described in such detail maybe makes it feel like it goes on longer than it does. I, in my mind, as I'm playing it through like a movie, it's like he kind of freezes up for like a minute and then he looks across the battlefield and sees the king being skewered like right as he's about to become a radiant. And then, you know, it all kind of happens very quickly. I think there's probably some truth to that. Yeah. So that's just the way that I see it. So, I, you know, we have two perspectives. But again, I, I've certainly heard people voice well, and, agreement with what you're saying as well. Well, and I will I will also state that I can sort of intellectually understand and agree with the idea of what Brandon Sanderson was trying to say. I think because it is juxtaposed with Shallan's crisis, which does feel earned and feels well done, mm-hmm. I think this one just pales in comparison to it. But the difference is that this one has a lot of plot relevance. Yes, whereas Shallan's, you know, it's an important from a character standpoint. But it's not. Um, it's not as though, unfortunately, in this world, Grund sadly is not as important <laughs> as Elicar. Um and so it just doesn't have the same level of impact, right? You know, as as Kaladin's sort of failure does. But I. But it's not, it's frustrating, but it's not, it doesn't stop me f- from from being able to enjoy what's mm-hmm. going on right. or Elicar's death. I think the fact that Elicar gets killed at the, because you, you know that there's some arc going on there. Right. And, it, and as we said before, it seems like Elicar is trying to grow. And the fact that Brandon Sanderson is willing to take this character who he spent a long time, you know, developing mm-hmm. and kill him right at the point where he's getting ready to sort of take that next step. Mm-hmm. You know, and the fact that it is a conflict between Elicar and Moash, there's a lot of things that are positive. There's a lot mm-hmm. of good story there. And I, I criticize Brandon Sanderson sometimes for not being bloodthirsty enough mm-hmm. because his general tendency is to kill plenty of people that you've never really spent any right. time with. Right. You know, they have a name and maybe they've had one or two lines, but eh, you know, yeah. but he's not offing major characters generally. But this is something that, that is, is a little closer to a George R. R. Martin move, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I like that part of it. So it's, it's not as though this robs me of being able to enjoy that. Well, and again, it's a huge, so for me, the bigger, question and what a lot of people wrestle with is why do we have this kind of gut reaction to Mo against Moash in this situation? Like, ah, you know, um, when we're willing to forgive, you know, when on paper, his murder of Elicar almost looks more acceptable than, you know, Dalinar burning out an entire city. And we're still willing to accept that Dalinar is a hero, whereas Moash, we're like, ah, and you know, what is that about? Well, I, I, I just want to say that Moash did nothing wrong. Oh, damn. <laughs> damn. 
So, so I mean, I'm sorry. I'm team fuck Moash right <laughs> over here. So, so listen, Dalinar burnt an entire city. Shiny pretty boy puppy in shard plate Adolin killed Sadius in cold blood. Mm-hmm. You know, Moash killed. Now, don't get me wrong. I still think he murdered the king. Right. But he he did it in combat. So at least at least he has a thinly failed guise <laughs> of legitimacy to his action. You know, so I think I think if you're going to be team fuck Moash, you have to also be team fuck Adolin. Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. I mean, the difference being, so what's, what I like about this conversation is the fact that the difference is about where Elokar was in his journey versus where Sadius was in his, you know? So for me, I can justify, well, Sadius had to go. He was a troublemaker. He told Adolin he was never going to stop. He was never going to believe what was going on, and he was never going to stop working to undermine Dalinar. So by that token, if Sadius had killed Dalinar right before he burnt down the rift, would you have patted Sadius on the back? I I mean, I guess probably, because at that point, Dalinar was, you know, not one of the good guys. And if you believe in the power of forgiveness and the fact that people change, then... How can you say Sadius wouldn't have been the one at the end of this to save everybody? I just know. Check and mate. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's not even close to a check and mate. (laughs) Yeah, but I was the first to say it, so. (laughs) Either way, it's, we could go on and on. And again, you go onto any of the Stormlight Archive reddits or anything like that, it is... I think, we, um, yeah, we've made our major points. Something yeah. that is discussed ad nauseum, and I'm I sure. look forward to hearing what our listeners have to say. Are you team fuck Moash? I got the Or bu- are you team wrong, wrongerson? <laughs> I got the bumper sticker. <laughs> Moash did nothing wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the other thing that happens in this chapter is Shalan is con- contacted by Saja Anat mm-hmm. and gets some informa- you know, interesting information there. Uh, she's told that Sajaanat is not her enemy and that, you know, maybe she was made and unmade by Odium, but that right now she is only of herself. The other thing that I think is important, like all these unmade things kind of come to a head, right? right? So he goes, she goes to the um, Ashtamarn, right. the black one, the the heart, and she's, you know, she does her unmade whispering and just goes away. It just goes away. That's and Adolin's right. like, you did it. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck did she do? You know, like, you know, and then, uh, you know, and then I'm like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. This is, this is a trap. This uh-huh. is too easy. Uh-huh. Whatever this is wants you to think that you have succeeded. Yes. It's waiting for you to take that portal. Mm-hmm. Because when you open that door, mm-hmm. a door works both ways. Yep. And that's what she is warned. She's warned. Saja Anat tells her, hey, look, you know, I'm not your enemy, but I'm kind of being forced. And this kind of goes along with what we were talking about. Can the unmaids kind of. So it seems like the unmade um, that is possessing the queen is kind of bring, brought these other two and is forcing them to do her bidding. Mm-hmm. Um, Saja Anat doesn't really want to, but she's being forced to corrupt the spren of the Oathgate. Mm-hmm. And that something bad is going to happen. So. Um, you know, she's like, fair warning, this is what's going to happen. 
Chapter 85 is called Grieve Later. Adolin leads the retreat from Kolinar. He tells Shallan to engage the Oathgate, despite the fact that it might be a trap. Sajanat promises to try and not kill them. <laughs> so Sajanat mentions her children as well. In the previous chapter, she she says, ask my son, you know, about how she's been made and unmade. And in this one, she says, trust is not mine. You will not give my children a home. Not yet. Just a tidbit. I have no Don't idea know what, what it the means. hell she's talking about. Don't know what that means, but. I only have one comment on chapter 85. And it's it's sort of an admission. Mm-hmm. So I again I don't even read the chapter titles, right? But in this one, I read it and I was like, "Grieve later," and I thought that the spelling was G R E A V E, mm. like grieve as in the piece of armor on a leg. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "You just killed Elicar, and then you put a pun in the title." <laughs> Grieve later. <laughs> the, who the fuck are you? <laughs> and then I and then I read it again, and I was like, Oh no no no, that's 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 the right spelling. Sorry, never mind, never mind. Forget I said that. So I mean, this is a really short chapter. It's just kind of moving the story along, and it has them making the decision to to give up the city as lost, basically realizing that they've lost. And I also think it's a it's a neat contrast between Adolin's resilience in the face of losing mm-hmm. um, his his family member mm-hmm. who he's known his entire life and obviously is much closer to with he's the one who has to drag a catatonic Kaladin off of the battlefield and he is able to say like, okay, I've got to, I've got to deal with this later right now. I have to get, mm-hmm. we have to get out of here. Well, and also their decision to go ahead and pull the lever on the oath gate. Right. Uh, when they know it's going to be bad, but they also don't, it's it's that or sit there and be killed. Right. Yeah. You know, which is not a whole lot of a choice. Which might, might in retrospect have been the right decision, but nobody <laughs> but nobody's going to make that decision. You're going to you're you're going to you're going to roll the dice. Mhm. Chapter 86 is called That Others May Stand. Dalinar waits for the oath gate to open, tormented by his returning memories. He talks to Teravangian and then they get news that the capital has fallen with no news of Adolin and the rest. So I really love the structure of these couple of chapters, how we've got the crisis that Shallan is facing, and then it's kind of paralleled by the crisis that Kaladin faces in his kind of emotional arc. And then we've got this conversation between Dalinar and Taravangian, which might seem just kind of plunked down there, but it all ties in together with this idea of, you know, is it possible to do bad things for a good reason? And that is all of these characters' arcs kind of tie together around this central theme. We've got Taravangian, who absolutely is in team do bad things Mm -hmm. for the greater good. You know, you've got... Dalinar, who copes with the fact that he did bad things by, you know, literally magically erasing his memory so he doesn't have to remember that he did them, mm-hmm. but who ultimately we see as a, as a good as a good guy, you know, and then you've got Shallan and Kaladin who are both grappling with the same thing, you know, Shallan who did things that she considers horrible, but for survival, you've got Kaladin who does things that he considers horrible for in order to protect others all kind of coming to a head here. Well, and that is one of the things that I think 
Brandon Sanderson does very well as an author is to sort of bring all of those, bring that theme through everybody at the mm-hmm. same point at the same time at different angles and sort of have it come to a head. He's very good at sort of tying all that thematically together mm-hmm. uh, through through these crises and sort of bring it together through the plot and through the action. Mm-hmm. I think that's something he does very well. My note in this chapter is Dalinar's quote here. It says, how does one live after making a decision like that, particularly if you eventually discover you made the wrong choice? And Teravangian says, this is the sacrifice, isn't it? Someone must bear the responsibility. Someone must be dragged down by it, ruined by it. Someone must stain their soul so that others may live. To which I say, easy to say mm-hmm. when you're a sociopath. I was going to and then Dalinar's like, well, you've never done anything terrible, and you're a good king. <laughs> right. Like, Let me tell you about my murder hospital. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you know, sometimes people just have to, you know, just accept that they have to be the one to take all the bad decisions on them. I mean, I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> right. But I'm I'm willing to make that sacrifice for everybody else. But it's such a powerful theme, this idea of, of empathy and responsibility. And it's even more, it's emphasized really subtly by a comment that the Stormfather makes in this chapter, uh, where he talks about the fact that he didn't, he wasn't able to see pain or understand human pain before being bonded with Dalinar. Yeah. Dalinar's right. sitting here being like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm str-, you know, and and Stormfather's, he's like, oh, I killed, burned this entire city. And the Stormfather's like, yeah, nice one, bro. Like, <laughs> I burn several cities. I, I destroy cities all the time. And then Dalinar's like, what? No, you it's terrible. You guys keep building them. I keep <laughs> knocking them down. Right. And the Stormfather's like, oh, wait, I actually see, you know, I can understand now. So he's... Mm-hmm he's beginning to gain empathy and, you know, just the importance of, of empathy, um, especially in contrast to Taravangian, who is, like you said, you know, half of the time he is a sociopath with no empathy. It's very striking. I also love T-Vange um, taking over the tour and like charming the Azish and yeah. Dalinar being like, oh, it was so nice of him to, you know. He's like, I know. <laughs> I'm not waiting for your eventual demise so I can take over the world. Right. By the way, you're now king. <laughs> oh gosh, you're right. He's the he's the only remaining mm-hmm. uh, colon other than him and Adolin and Renarin. I mean, that's yeah. it. You know. Yep. Chapter eighty-seven is called "This Place." Very short chapter here. In this chapter, the Scooby Gang winds up in Shadesmar. What? They meet their spren in proper spren form. Pattern, sill, and a strange spren with scratched out eyes. Azure comments that she really hates this place. That's pretty much it. That's it. That's what happens. Yeah, my only, so I just, I'm reading this and I'm like, all right, what happened to everybody else who was on that platform? You know, and they say, only the control section, you know. Right. We crammed everyone in the phone booth booth, and only the phone booth came across. You know, it's, um, but that doesn't mean that that's the only... I mean, we don't know what actually happened to the rest of the Oathgate. No. It could open up on the other side in Eurothero with all of the Voidbringers coming through it. You don't know. Or they could have just all been dumped into Shadesmar and... And, and drowned in the and beads. And drowned in the beads. Like, 
Or yeah. nothing could have happened. It could just be sitting there and only the control box came came over. Yeah, we don't know. And I, I really love how we get this scene through Adolin's eyes, who is the only one who really has no idea. Like, he's the most clueless about mm-hmm. all things Spren and cognitive realm related. Mm-hmm. So we get to see it through him, you know, being like, holy crap, what's going on? And you as the reader are like, holy crap, now they're all in Shadesmar. And then we get the moment at the end of Azure, you know, the revelation that Azure has been here before. Uh, enough that she is she's not surprised and she's like ugh this place again yeah this place sucks is she the mistress that's a herald the mistress is a herald okay who is this third spren what are your what are your thoughts well Hard to say, because on one, I mean, it's it's either Vivenna or Adolin Spren. Because all the others are accounted for. Right, yeah. So it's only it's one of those two. Vivenna obviously doesn't come from Roshar. Right. We've seen no evidence. I mean, the cognitive realm exists everywhere. Right. But we've seen no evidence that Spren bond people from outside of Roshar. Correct. Which would lead you to believe that it's Adolin. We've also not really seen anything from Adolin that would lead you to believe that he has a spren. Really? I Not that I'm aware of. I haven't picked up on anything. So think about the way the spren is described. Uh, as a chick with her eyes scratched out? Yes. I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I 100% don't get it. I, I think it's, it's most likely to be Adolin's, not only because you're obviously hinting to me that it I'm is. But, um, <laughs> the worst. I'm sorry. <laughs> But the other reason being that everybody in this novel who's from Roshar, who has a name, is getting a spren. You get a spren, you get a spren, you get a spren. Check under your chair. There's a spren. You're going to bond it. You're going to become a radiant. That's sort of in the, that's not unexpected in a time when sort of the radiants are being reborn and you would expect there to be a ton of new radiants. So... I mean, do you think this is a new Spren, or is this one that we've seen? I mean, this is one that was on the platform. I, I understand what you're saying. Okay. You're telling me that there's been a Spren following Adolin around this whole time, and I just didn't notice. I really should just, I just let should just let you read the next chapter and figure it out. But it's good. It's really good. So what you're saying is it's Vivenna's Spren. I'm not, I... I'm just going to let you read it and figure it out. So so other people from other planets can also bond Spren. I mean, why wouldn't they? No, that's not what I'm saying. I Oh, he's messing with me, guys. He just gave me this funny smile. <laughs> but it's really good. So let's go through the, let's talk about the Snapters. So I have collected all the Snapters for part three. So they're short. So there's a lot of them, but they're short. So I'll try to read them as quickly as I can. So we have them all sort of in one context here. So before you read them, um, here is a list of the gemstones as they uh, relate to the orders of Radiant. Okay. So... Or you can just tell me what, we can just go through that for each one. But each kind of gemstone tells us what what order of radiant 
is speaking. Now tell us. Okay. So Bond Smith um, is associated with Heliodor. Windrunners are Sapphire. Skybreakers are Smokestone. The Dustbringers are Ruby. Edge Dancer is Diamond. Truth Watcher is Emerald. Lightweaver is Garnet. Else Caller is Zircon. Will Shaper is Amethyst. And Stone Wards are Topaz. Okay, gotcha. So, part three snapters, the first. As a stone ward, I spent my entire life looking to sacrifice myself. I secretly worry that this is the cowardly way, the easy way out. From drawer 29-5, Topaz. Topaz. If this is to be permanent, then I wish to leave record of my husband and children. Wuzmol was as good a man as any woman could dream of loving. Kamakra and Molinar, the true gemstones of my life, Apparently not. You named her Molinar. <laughs> From drawer 1215, Ruby. So Dustbringers. Yeah. I worry about my fellow Truth Watchers. From drawer 821, Second Emerald. We can record any secret we wish and leave it here. How do we know they'll be discovered? Well, I don't care. Why don't you put that in your drawer? <laughs> drawer 2-3, Smokestone. Skybreaker. Is, is this thing on? <laughs> I wish to submit my formal protest at the idea of abandoning the tower. This is an extreme step taken brashly from drawer 2 22, Smokestone. Skybreakers. I return to the tower to find squabbling children instead of proud knights. That's why I hate this place. I'm going to chart the hidden undersea caverns of Amia. Find my maps in Akina. From drawer 1616, Amethyst. And obviously... Will Shaper. Yeah, and we uh, we know that that is where we mm-hmm. found uh, the uh, the old, old smoky gal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we know what's in there. Mm-hmm. The disagreements between the Skybreakers and the Windrunners have grown to tragic levels. I plead with any who hear this to recognize you are not so different as you think. From drawer 2719, Topaz. Stone wards. Now that we abandoned the tower, can I finally admit that I hate this place? Too many rules. From drawer 8-1, Amethyst. Will Shapers. This generation has only one bondsmith, and some blame the divisions among us upon this fact. The true problem lies far deeper. I believe the honor himself is changing, changing his accent to Scottish. <laughs> From drawer 2418, Smokestone. I'm just trying to make it interesting for me, all right? (laughs) So that was the skybreaker, okay. My research into the cognitive reflections of Spren at the tower had been deeply illustrative. Some thought that the sibling had withdrawn from men by intent, but I find counter to that theory. From drawer 11, first Zircon. Else caller. The welts and the plants and the general cooling of the air is disagreeable, yes, but some of the tower's functions remain in place. Remember OSHA regulations. OSHA regulations. The increased pressure, for example, persist. From drawer one one second zircon. So it's interesting because the else callers are the same order as Yasna, and they have definitely have a very academic kind of feel to them. That's right. That's a safety engineer for Eurothero. <laughs> I didn't put all this. Air circulation in here for nothing. (laughs) 
Something is happening to the sibling. I agree that this is true. But the division among the knight's radiance is not the blame. Our perceived worthiness is a separate issue from drawer one one third Zircon. So else caller, else caller, else yeah. caller, all from the same drawer. Right. These hedge dancers are too busy relocating the tower servants and farmers to send a representative to record their thoughts in these gemstones. I'll do it for them then. They are the ones who will be most displaced by this decision. The radiance will be taken in by nations. But what of all these people now without homes? From drawer 417, second chowder, Topaz. So the stone wards, you know, definitely seem like kind of the peacemakers of the group. They're very worried about, you know, what's going on with everyone else and, um, and doing the right thing. And it definitely sounds like the conversation, or at least what a lot of the conversations are uh, centering around leaving the tower. So whatever has happened, uh, whether it's right after the recreants, but, but abandoning the tower. The stone wardens don't want to leave. This is a giant phallic stone paradise. Right? Why would they want to go anywhere? <laughs> I'm worried about the tower's protections failing. If we are not safe from the unmade here, then where? From Jorah 311, Garnet. A light weaver. Today I leaped from the tower for the last time. I felt the wind dance around me as I fell all the way along the eastern side, past the tower, and to the foothills below. I'm going to miss that. From drawer 10-1, Sapphire. Mm-hmm. Sapphire is... Yeah, it's Windrunner, which I think, if you've noticed, Kaladin and the other Windrunners glow blue. Mm, okay. Something must be done about the remnants of Odium's forces. The Parshers, they are now called, continue their war with zeal, even without the masters from damnation. From drawer 30-20, First Emerald. That's Truth Watchers. So I think we have a bunch of Truth Watchers in a row yeah. in this this couple, next couple. A coalition has been formed among the Scholar Radiance. Our goal is to deny the enemy their supply of void light. This will prevent them their continuing transformations and give us an edge in combat. From Jorah 3020, Second Emerald. So, yeah. Again, like we had with the Elves Callers. Yeah. And I think over the next couple, we're able to kind of pick out what, what was happening towards the end. Our revelation is fueled by the theory that the unmade can perhaps be captured like ordinary spren. It would require a special prison and Malishi. From Jor 3020, Third Emerald. Bo Ado Bishram has somehow connected with the Parsh people. <laughs> connected capital C, as Odium once did. She provides void light and facilitates forms of power. Our strike team is going to imprison her. From Jor 3020, First Emerald. <laughs> Get her done. We are uncertain the effect that this will have on the Parsh. At the very least, it should deny them forms of power. Malishi is confident, but Ney's daughter Kazoda warns of unintended side effects from Jorah 3020, Fifth Emerald. Mm-hmm. Surely this will bring at long last the end to war that the Heralds promised us from Jorah 3020, Final Emerald. So again, this is something that all happened after... The heralds told them that they had won, but there were still all of, the, and maybe Odium had been bound, but this the the fused were still fighting. I'm getting out of ways to make uh, this sound interesting. Give me a give me an accent. I don't know. <laughs> there aren't too many more, are there? Uh, it's like five or six. Okay. Oh. 
As the duly appointed keepers of the perfect gems, we of the Else Callers have taken the burden of protecting the ruby nicknamed Honor's Drop, let it be recorded, from Drawer 2010 Zircon. So I wonder what who, if there was something imprisoned in that ruby. I don't know. The enemy makes another push towards Feverstone Keep. I wish we knew what it was that had them so interested in that area. Could it be intent on capturing Rawl Elorum? From Jorah, 19-2, Third Topaz. So we, we've heard fee- about Feverstone Keep before. That oh, yeah. Is, yeah, so we, we know what that, what that many, is. Many, many times at okay. Feverstone Keep. Don't tell anyone. I can't say it. I must whisper. I foresaw this. I see dead people. <laughs> From drawer 3020, a particularly small emerald. So I, I, that one really struck me because, first off, it's so interesting to have a fantasy world where telling the future is taboo and it's not like a prized kind of skill. Mm-hmm. But then you've also got these, um, these truth watchers who, you know, they're power is kind of taboo because they see things so that's just kind of cool especially as it relates to renarin Mm -hmm. do russian my friend claims that recording this will be good for me so here i go yeah everyone says i will swear the fourth ideal soon (laughs) and in so doing earn my armor i simply don't know that i can am i not supposed to want to help people i can't fucking do it it's the last goddamn line. From drawer 1012, Sapphire. So this is something that we've been, we've debated and discussed a big mystery. How do the Radiants get their armor? Yeah, right. Apparently there's a fourth ideal and this Windrunner is having a hard time swearing it because it has maybe has something to do with not helping people or not being able to protect people. Mm, yeah. Good night, dear Earth Hero. Good night, sweet sibling. Good night, Radiance. Good night, Moon. Good night, Second Moon. Third Moon hated it. Good night, Chasm. Good night, Chasm Fiend. Good night, Voidbringers All. Good night, Honor. Good night, Cultivation. Odium farted in the hall. From Jorah 2929, Ruby. Okay, but hold on. So what does that actually say? Because this good, one good gave night. me absolute chills when i read it this time through good night dear you're a hero good night sweet sibling good night radiance like to me that's like that that's the last one like right as they're leaving the tower and it's a ruby which means it was a dust bringer the dust bringers the Teravangians, okay, yeah. kind of semi-evil radiant, they is just a dust watch the world burn. It, the, yeah, so they were the ones that like, like they had. So there was some bad juju going on with the dust bringers, and I just want you know, you just wonder what they had to do with the radiance falling apart. Yeah, you just wonder. Who? So we went through them all. Man, go us. No one even had to nag us about it. <laughs> I can't wait to get into part four with you. This is where the roof just comes right off. It's where we get our sharp plate. If someone can swear the fourth ideal. I swear by the moon and the stars and the sky. So, interactions. Are you ready? We're ready. All right.
So our first interaction comes from Twitter from Tom Veen. Hi, Tom. He says, are you going to try the new Stormlight board game coming out? What? That's what I said. Um, we are now. On the Facebook group page, Zach Robinson says, I feel like Sanderson did a great job leaving Moash out of the story just long enough for me to forget about him. Did you guys see his arrival coming or am I just oblivious? What do you think, Chad? Uh, no, I agree that he he definitely let that go cold and it sort of led to that big reveal of Moash. I mean, I, as I stated in the podcast, I did, when they referenced the latter cruise, I thought, ah, you know. Plus, we sort of knew it was coming, so I didn't forget about it. But again, it was very out of mind. So, it, so even if we knew something was happening, we didn't know when it was going to happen. And that it happened when Kaladin, you know, loses his shit, uh, you know, was sort of a, a good reveal and, and well executed overall. Mm-hmm. Eric Shifa says, I would like a discussion of the Snapters in general. Well... Eric, you got it. There you go. Um, he also asks, who do you think Azure is? What's going on with her not shard blade? Well, I think we've we've sort of discussed who she is. Yeah. As for the not shard blade, that that I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Vasher obviously has has night blood. You know, and we've seen that. So where he, this one comes from? He doesn't have night blood though. He doesn't. Seth has night blood. Oh, remember. That's right. Okay. But but we know that this is not Nightblood. Exactly. Basically. Exactly. Right. Um, Brian Kemper says, just how crushing is Grun's death and the circumstances surrounding it? It was more, it was less crushing and more crunching. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was sad. It yeah. was very sad. I mean, when they lean over and crush a little disfigured orphan boy's head like i don't know i don't know that there's any image more sad than that right in isolation and then you know amongst the whole other context of shallan's breakdown eh, it's pretty gut-wrenching mm-hmm. yeah theogram brown made a chart oh i love it i love our listeners i'm looking at it now <laughs> yes on the facebook group page there's an amazing g- chart in google docs of all the snapters it's a matrix and, uh, by the drawer and the color mm-hmm. and he puts the quotes in mm-hmm. each of those so you can listen to me attempt to do it in silly accents mm-hmm. or you can see it all spelled out in graphical representation of where mm-hmm. it sort of lied read it in whatever order you'd like to juxtaposed yeah. against the drawer and the gym it's pretty amazing well done bravo Theo says, what do you think happened to the rest of the Oathgate? Was part of the plan to dump a load of the Unmade's troops in Eurothero? Uh, yeah, 100%. And, <laughs> that was your first question. Yeah, and <laughs> and that is, that is my first prediction. That is uh-huh. what I think is going to happen, especially when you get the very ominous goodbye, Eurothero. Yeah. Good night. <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, yeah, so 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 ready to hear uh, a Sudan walk in gemstones protruding out of her neck, mm-hmm. you know, walk right into mm-hmm. the tower and kill everybody she can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I think is going to happen. Um, 
I just saw something funny on here. Sorry. So Theo Graham Brown also says, basically he says he he agrees with you that he does not like paralyzed Kaladin that, um, and that he also didn't like having him just watch Moash come in and kill Elokar. And then Eric Allgaier put that gif up from uh, Austin Powers where the steamroller is very slowly moving toward the security guard and he's going, no. By the way, it's still one of the, one of the funniest Absolutely. things ever to happen in a movie. Absolutely. But yeah, that is does kind of feel like what's going on with Kaladin on the battlefield there. Like, no. <laughs> Theo says, I use the phrase deus ex wit elsewhere. I feel like a lot of what propelled this section was wit trying to make sure stuff worked out. Maybe he's trying to fuck them up because it seems weird he didn't already know how bad it was in there. I'm not sure. I mean... I'm not sure that I would use Deus Ex Wit, despite yeah. its despite its wittiness. Right. I, I don't I don't know that that's really what's going on, and mm-hmm. I don't know that that's what Theo has said is going on. Mm-hmm. But I think it's appropriate, and he sort of outwardly says that mm-hmm. I know I know where things are bad. I can tell when you know where I need to be, and then he's there. My question is 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 the fact that Wit and Vivenna are both in the same place. Mm-hmm coincidental or or not or mm-hmm. or did they come together because we know that uh hoyd is also has also met vivenna in uh in warbringer mm-hmm. warbreaker yes indeed Broader. very interesting that he then came to her but didn't reveal who he was uh, oh no he did not meet vivenna he met siri Oh, that's true. Oh, yeah, that's right. Still, he probably knows who she is and where she's from. I would imagine. Um, Let's see. Ian James Crone says, redemption arcs or understanding the bad guy arcs, which author does it best? Uh, I mean, it's George George R. R. Martin. Absolutely. I mean, there's, I I mean, mean, gosh, there's no, there's there's nobody else who does it better. Jamie Lannister for sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, if he can make Theon a, sympathetic character yeah i I mean absolutely absolutely although i was thinking it was interesting because i was thinking about rothfuss and i was like wow you know i never really thought about but his his foils that he presents are all very black hat mustache twirling i guess you could argue that really in name of the wind quoth is the bad guy Uh, yeah that is his own worst enemy Mm -hmm. um good question though so uh, Brian McClure on the Facebook page, um, well, he's got a bunch of questions about w- basically what do you think about the unmade? Uh, any thoughts or theories about them? What Sajanat, you know, talks about having a son. She talks about being made and then unmade, all these kind of things. Any thoughts on the Any predictions there? I actually, I actually do have one of my predictions. Uh, I think that the unmade, even though they're spren, were unmade... Uh, prior to the Arahadium, Hadium, however you say it. So I think that they they therefore don't have to obey the same rules mm. as the rest of the people from the Cognitive Plane. Mm-hmm. I also do think there's that one unmade, there's that one creature that keeps popping up on the Shattered Plains, right? Yeah, Like dancing around in the storms, yes. wah, yeah. but never really you know, making itself become apparent, right? Yeah. And then I look at what's going on in Kolinar, yeah. which is obviously on the f- on the face of it, flies in the face of logic, right? Right. It's, it's crazy what's going on there. Right. And then I look back at the Shattered Plains and how they had a war there 
for six years that didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. It was just, let's collect gem hearts. And I think, was that insanity and that lack of logical thinking also inspired by one of the unmade? Mm-hmm. We see that they have the ability to sort of corrupt things around them right. on, a bra- on a broad scale. So I almost think that there's an unmade sitting out on the Shattered Plains as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is definitely a good question. Um, so where do you think Moash's story is going? Straight to the top, baby. <laughs> I, I mean, I think Moash is going to, I mean, Mo, it sort of goes back to predictions I made in The Way of Kings. Mm-hmm. I think Moash and Kaladin are going to find themselves on opposite sides of this war. Mm-hmm. You know, and Moash is going, I don't know, maybe not be a big bad, mm-hmm. but he's going to end up, you know, on the the opposite side of wherever Kaladin is. Yep. And uh, finally, what character do you think will die next? Well, given that he just killed off Elicar, mm-hmm. I think the next character who's going to die is going to be somebody not important. <laughs> Probably. You know, it's going to be it's going to be uh, it's going to be one of the bridgemen. That only has like one or two lines. Not Teft, mm-hmm. not Rock, but one of the other Bridgman. Uh-huh. Okay, time for predictions. Lay them right. on us. All right, so a couple of them I've already said. The Unmade uh, were unmade prior to Arahadium. There's an Unmade on the on the Shattered Plains mm-hmm. and the, the bad guys coming through the Oath Gate. Those, those I've, already, I've, I've right. already put out there. Um, I think that the shard blade is my only one I haven't mentioned. The shard blades killing those void sprint is some sort of clue. Mm-hmm. And I think the shard blades uh, are the only way to separate Voidbringer from Void Spren, mm-hmm. thus destroying their bond and allowing them to be killed. All right. I like it. I, I mean, I don't think it's it's not earth shattering. The idea that shard blades were designed specifically as an answer to void bringers, mm-hmm. as you know, a way to kill them. I don't, you know, I don't think that's. I don't mm-hmm. think it takes a lot to figure that out, mm-hmm. but but that's sort of essentially what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Episode one hundred and twelve. Nice. Can In the you bag. believe we've been doing this? Uh, we've done this one hundred and twelve times. I cannot. I mean, if if I wasn't numbering them, I wouldn't believe it either. <laughs> All right, where can they find us? I I, I don't know. <laughs> In their hearts, Chad. <laughs> In their hearts. So you want to talk about Pimp of the Week? Yes, I do. Pimp of the week. So we've done this in the past and we're gonna um get it started again and we'll put an announcement on social media as well. But uh, we will be doing a giveaway for anyone in the next day or so who pimps us out on social media, shares our posts, um, talks us up. Uh, we will be doing a drawing of everyone who does that and giving away a T-shirt or other piece of merchandise from the online store with the fabulous Duke and Duchess logo on it. 
Yeah, I think we finally figured out a way we can actually make this work. Yes. Uh, for us. So yeah, pimp us out. And then on the next podcast, we'll announce pimp, pimp of the week. Although it's it's not really a week. It's like pimp of the month. <laughs> it's the pimp of the month club. <laughs> and then we'll let you, you know, pick whatever you want. We'll pimp us out, yo. Pimp us out, yo. So you can find us on Twitter at the DND podcast. D is in David, N is in Nancy, D is in David podcast. On uh, all the other social medias at the Duke and Duchess. If you really want to hang out with us and and play where the cool kids play, come and join us on our Facebook group page. That's where we have the most interaction and the most fun. I mean, really, it's it's kind of the best community on Facebook. It pretty much is. I think it is. I don't. Uh, there are charts involved. Absolutely. <laughs> so many memes. So many hilarious photoshops. <laughs> So uh, come hang out with us. All right, good night, everybody. Good night. Mm-hmm.